Coming up this evening, live from New York City, Russia preparing a new law to seize properties of Western firms. It'll raise the stakes for global firms that are trying to leave the country over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. The UK slapping a windfall tax on energy companies as they make record profits while energy prices are through the roof. Twitter will pay millions of dollars in fines after it was accused of using people's data illegally to help advertisers. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. The tit for tat over the Ukraine war continues. Russian lawmakers are now discussing a move to take control of local businesses of Western firms that leave. Many big Western firms have decided to exit the country because of its invasion of Ukraine. Now, Russia wants to seize their properties. The new law will give Russia sweeping powers. It would allow the Russian government to sell confiscated businesses, and former owners would be barred from operating in Russia. Now, Western firms that still have operations in Russia are trying to figure out what it means for them. That includes furniture giant IKEA, fast food chain Burger King, and Italian bank Unicredit. Russian lawmakers are reviewing the bill, and it could be signed into law by President Vladimir Putin within weeks. The UK is imposing a windfall tax on energy companies, reversing its previous decision. This is a kind of tax that's given to companies that have made large profits. The UK's finance minister says this time the tax was designed in a way to try to encourage investment. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. In the United Kingdom, Finance Minister Rashi Sunak is slapping a windfall tax on energy companies. I am sympathetic to the argument to tax those profits fairly. A windfall tax is a one-time tax forced onto companies who've had large profits. The UK government didn't want to do this before because it would discourage investment. But this time, there are two parts. But we have built into the new levy. But we have built into the new levy. But we have built into the new levy a new investment allowance similar to the super deduction. That means that means companies will have a new and significant incentive to reinvest their profits. Sunak says the tax rate will be 25% and it will be phased out as energy prices decline. Meanwhile, to not discourage investment, for every pound a company invests, it'll get 90% in tax relief. It's really a political game. In front of people, they show that they are doing something but in reality, they are doing nothing. Anas Alhaji is an independent energy market expert. Alhaji believes companies will overspend as a result. You walk into uh, a building of an energy company and you see the red carpet all over the place. Those fancy plants, fancy paintings, fancy offices. Why? Because they know if, if they have something less than that, then that profit will be taken by the government. Alhaji also says the tax may make the UK more dependent on imports. Meanwhile, Senator Elizabeth Warren is working on a windfall profits tax in the United States. I think it's a little harder to do that in the United States, perhaps in the UK. Tom McNulty is the president of TJ McNulty and Company, an energy industry consultancy. McNulty says it's a very complex balance in Washington right now. There's a lot of uh, animosity across the aisle. 
We have an election in November. Faye Quarter, NTD News. The Biden administration is moving to protect a major Alaska watershed from mining. The EPA wants to ban mines from dumping their waste in the Bristol Bay watershed. It's home to one of the world's biggest salmon fisheries and supports a $2 billion commercial fishing industry. If the EPA's ban is successful, it could kill plans for the Pebble Mine Project, which is designed to mine gold, copper, and other metals. The company behind the mine calls the EPA's move a giant step backwards for Biden's climate agenda. Its CEO said he thinks it's ironic that the president is trying to boost production of renewable energy materials, minerals such as copper, while at the same time, his administration is trying to stop domestic mining projects. The CEO said if the mine is blocked, the administration will have to get minerals from foreign sources, which don't have the same environmental standards as the U.S. Wall Street closed sharply higher today after some sold solid retail earnings. The Dow rose 517 points, or one and six-tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 79 points, or two percent. And the Nasdaq added 306 points, or two and seven-tenths of a percent. Discount chains Dollar General and Dollar Tree both jumped today. They say consumers are looking for bargains with high inflation and have raised profit forecasts. Macy's shares up 19% today. Unlike some other retailers like Walmart and Target, it's forecasting higher profits for the year, saying shoppers are back in the stores and spending more on clothing for special occasions. Twitter shares up over 6% today, after news that Elon Musk is putting more money up to buy Twitter. He boosted his equity commitment by over $6 billion to $33.5 billion, and he's dropping plans to fund part of the deal with a margin loan tied to his Tesla shares. The news is raising investor hopes that Musk still plans to go through with the Twitter deal. A couple weeks ago, he said the deal was on hold until there was more clarity on how many spam bots are on Twitter. CNBC reports Musk is talking with Twitter founder Jack Dorsey and other investors to help finance the transaction. Twitter will pay a $150 million penalty after it was accused of using user information to help companies create targeted ads. The DOJ says that for over six years, Twitter deceptively told users it was collecting their phone numbers and email addresses for security purposes, leaving out the part about the ads. The DOJ says over 140 million people were affected, and that this boosted Twitter's primary source of revenue. Out of the $3.4 billion in revenue it made in 2019, $2.99 billion came from advertising. The fine is only about 30% of Twitter's net profit for the first quarter. One of the largest aircraft operators in the world is getting sued over its vaccine mandate. The prosecutor tells NTD News they're going for all the major airlines too. NTD's Phil Zhou has the details. A group of pilots and flight attendants are planning to sue all major airlines for enforcing the vaccine mandate arguing that it violates their religious and medical rights. For the unvaccinated, there have been, you know, threats, um, harassment, coercion, you know, intimidation. Josh Yoder is the co-founder of U.S. Freedom Flyers, 
a group defending medical freedom. He's a major airline pilot himself. Back in the early days of this, people were terrified. Um, they, they, were, they were absolutely terrified. You know, they had to choose between taking a jab they didn't want with known side effects or perhaps against uh, th their religious beliefs. I mean, they had to choose between that and, and their jobs, you know, and, and this is just unconscionable. This isn't, uh, this isn't the American way. The group has just filed a lawsuit in federal court against Atlas Air, one of the largest cargo carriers. But this is just the beginning. It's planning to sue a total of 18 major airlines. A lot of people's lives have been ruined, and now they're standing up, and we all need to. Marine Steele is a spokesperson for John Pierce Law, the firm leading the case. Not only are these pilots being put in danger and flight crews being mandated to take a shot that is killing them and causing physical harm, the passengers are put in danger because we're flying with an unsafe flight crew. Steele says she has spoken to hundreds of pilots and flight attendants. The evidence, she says, it's overwhelming. Another one, another pilot died, young guy in his early 30s. Um, you know, two weeks after getting another booster, he, he drops dead of a heart attack, never had heart problems in his entire life. Steele says they'll be filing another lawsuit against United Airlines by the end of this week. This um, far surpasses just the aviation industry. And when we, when we can make examples out of these corporate giants, it's also going to have um, a, a resounding impact around the world with other large companies who, who think that they can just walk all over their employees. Besides the airlines, the group is also suing the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, and the DOT, Department of Transportation. NTD News reached out to Atlas Air for comment, but did not get a response by airtime. Phil Zhou, NTD News. Layoffs and cutbacks continue to multiply in the tech industry. The latest from food delivery app Getter and payment app Bolt. Both are reporting heavy layoffs. Bolt is releasing about 250 employees, or about one-third of its workforce. And Getter is planning a 14% reduction of its 6,000 employees worldwide. Businesses that thrived during the pandemic environment are showing signs of slowing down as parts of the world return to normal. More signs the housing market is slowing down. Fewer Americans signed contracts to buy existing homes last month. In fact, it dropped to the lowest level since April 2020. Bear in mind, that was right at the start of the pandemic. One reason, homes are becoming harder and harder to afford. The average mortgage payment in April rose nearly 9% from just a month ago. And it's more than 40% higher than a year before. That's according to Mortgage Bankers Association. The Federal Reserve is set for more interest rate hikes. That'll push up mortgage rates even higher. Luckily, there might be more homes coming onto the market, according to Realtor.com. Homes for sale rose 9% last week, compared to a year ago. Real estate website Redfin also says they're seeing more listings on their site. It's not just homes. New car sales are expected to plummet this month, compared to sales at this time last year. According to J.D. Power and LMC Automotive, that's due mostly to near-record high prices and supply chain disruptions causing limited inventory. The average cost of a new vehicle right now is nearly $45,000, and demand is far exceeding the supply. J.D. Power says the pace of new car sales is now directed by how many vehicles are delivered to dealers monthly. The supply issues should ease as production is expected to increase later this year. As for the high prices, though, they're unlikely to decline. High-level Chinese officials are taking notice of China's weak economy. 
Chinese Premier Li Keqiang held an emergency meeting to try to correct the course. With more than 100,000 participants at the meeting, the Chinese Premier ordered that new policies to stabilize the economy must be drafted before the end of May. But can China have a zero-COVID policy and a strong economy at the same time? NTD's Don Ma speaks to Frank Gaffney, executive chairman for the Center of Security Policy, and David Zhang, host of the Epoch Times China Insider. Frank, David, thanks for joining us today. So Premier Li Keqiang's meeting to uh, stabilize the Chinese economy was joined by tens of thousands. Frank, why such a large meeting? It's such a large problem, I suppose. And I think that the party is trying to um, brace up the public for some bad things that are coming and hopefully, I guess, uh, assure their solidarity as the party tries to deal with them. These lockdowns are taking place as part of an effort, again, to gain control of the Chinese people and discipline them to understand they're going to have to make sacrifices. And I think this this meeting on the economy is probably of a piece with that. David Lee said that China is facing some difficulties more severe than 2020. So to you, is this an indicator of how serious China's economic situation is? Yes, and remember two years ago, Xi Jinping held something similar where he says the COVID situation is one where we have to fight with the people. Now, the second-in-command, Li Keqiang, is saying that, hey, we've gotten to a point where our political fight with COVID has resulted in the economic downturn in China. Uh, so I think Li is in a process of trying to take control of the economic situation uh, from Xi Jinping. So this meeting comes after Xi Jinping's meeting earlier this month, where instructions were given to unswervingly follow the dynamic zero COVID policy. So Frank, I'm curious if the two meetings are conflicting in nature. Can you have a zero COVID policy and a strong economy? Well, I think what David says is there may be a bigger conflict at work here, which is between uh, Xi and Li as well. But I think the answer is no, as a practical matter. If you're talking about the kind of lockdowns that have taken place notably, but not exclusively by any means in Shanghai, it's devastating on the productive output uh, and the population. So, Frank, I want to know, it seems China won't move away from zero COVID since uh, Xi Jinping said to unswervingly follow the policy. And after this meeting, China will also have to focus on a stronger economy. So are local authorities going to have a hard time balancing between the two? There may be this further calculation at work, um, not just balancing the you know, public health policies versus the economic policies, but uh, a larger sort of national security agenda. And I, I think what we're going to find is that the repression that has characterized Xi's regime, the, the social credit system and uh, the quarantines and the lockdowns and all the rest of it has been the, the China model, in short, uh, is going to persist uh, for the foreseeable future. So, David, I have a similar question for you. Do you see China facing a dilemma right now? I think I agree with what Frank just said. We may seem like there is a dilemma, but remember who is in control. Xi Jinping is still in power until he either gets elected again or chosen as the third uh, for the third term or he is kicked out from power. Until then, 
all we can say that is the current system operating in China is majority majority still dominated by Xi Jinping's political control. And so it's too early to speculate that some things are just uh, suddenly pivoting to another type of thinking. And you have to remember what Xi has done over the past 10 years is consolidating power to himself. Frank Gaffney, Executive Chairman, Center for Security Policy, and David Zhang, host of China Insider. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can send us an email at business at ntd.com. Still to come, a car subscription service raising money to expand in the U.S. and Europe is now a good time. John Deere rolling out its first autonomous tractor for tilling. What impact could it have on farming? That and more coming up on NTD Business. subscription platform wants to supercharge its growth in the United States and Europe, and it's just raised over $100 million to do it. And today's Sean Marshall has more. Car subscription platform Finn has raised $110 million in equity to expand in the U.S. and Europe, attempting to achieve 30,000 subscriptions by the end of the year. The subscription includes insurance, maintenance, and roadside assistance in one monthly bill. Everything but fuel is taken care of. I asked Paul Bryan, a contributor to Car Coach Reports, if he thought this was a good time for the industry expansion. I don't know that it's the best timing in the world. I mean, I wish these people all the best of luck that they, they can, and I'm sure the investors are uh, uh, trying to look past the horizon that I am. Uh, but, but I think it's going to be a heavy lift. Brian doesn't see this type of service as becoming an industry disruptor. I know that a lot of manufacturers had great uh, hopes for the subscription service concept, but people tend to be more sticking with the purchase or lease programs that they have traditionally used in past. The service is currently active in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. The company plans to enter California and Florida later this year and continue expanding across the country into 2023. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Summer, barbecue, and beer just go together. That's the idea behind Miller Lite's new promotional product. Introducing Miller Lite Beer Coal, which the company's director of marketing says is the first ever beer-infused charcoal. The company made it by reducing the beer down to a concentrate and then using it to coat the coals. The product debuted on MillerLightBeerCoal.com on Tuesday at the price of $11.99 for a four-pound bag. As of early Thursday, they were already sold out, but according to the website, there's more on the way. Coca-Cola is phasing out another product line. It says it's getting rid of Honest Tea by the end of the year. The Honest Kids line will still be available. Coca-Cola acquired the brand in 2011. The company also sells Gold Peak and Peace Tea, which are staying put for now. 
Since 2020, Coca-Cola has been trying to shrink its portfolio in half to 200 products. This way, it can focus on popular brands and creative marketing for its core Coke offering. Modern dairy farms typically look to new technology to increase milk production, but a property in Australia has found its own low-tech solution. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Three generations of dairy farmers have worked this 250-acre Sunshine Coast property. Now they're feeding stock a byproduct from a nearby rum distillery called Dunder. The Dunder certainly brings the cows home. Um, they're, keen, they're keen to get home and keen to have a feed of it. And the Dunder is having a measurable result on milk production. For every four litres that I feed a cow, I'll get a litre response. It works out cheaper than grain. It's a cheaper byproduct than a lot of your, your standard feed types. Devera sources his dunder from a distillery not far from his property. It recently released a new batch of rum. We've got this incredible sort of closed loop on, on, on waste from our distilled spirits. Um, and it's a great feeling to know that's being used again. Sunshine and Sons Distillery is looking to build long-term relationships with local farmers by sourcing ingredients on the Sunshine Coast. Gordon Oaks is one of the distillery's local suppliers. Having someone promote the local area and put it all around Australia and the world, I think that's great. His family has been growing crops on the Sunshine Coast for 84 years, and they still own one of the largest farms in the region. His company, Oaks & Sons, supply the distillery with sugarcane and pineapple. We're just trying to make a very specialised style of rum and make it the best that we possibly can. Now Sunshine & Sons wants to bring its rum to the world stage. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. NASA is pushing boundaries with a new solar sail concept. It just awarded the project $2 million to turn the concept into reality. Just as sailboats use the wind, solar sails use sunlight to travel through space. Traditional solar sail designs use reflection, and they're limited by the direction of sunlight. But this new concept is based on diffraction. The head of the project says they can change the angle of the sunlight so the sails are more efficient and easier to maneuver. Diffractive solar sails could position science spacecraft in orbit around the sun's north and south poles, advancing our understanding of the star. They could also allow scientists to better forecast space weather. John Deere is adding to its suite of tech-enabled products with its first autonomous tractor. The machine uses artificial intelligence to scan farm fields using a GPS sensor to precisely map and plow to prep fields for planting. Bianca Flowers has more. Big data may be the new crop of choice for farm equipment manufacturers, though some farmers have mixed feelings about embracing big tech in their fields. John Deere is releasing his first autonomous tillage tractor which uses artificial intelligence and agronomic data to precisely map and plow fields to prep for planting. Julian Sanchez is the director of emerging technology at the company. Agronomic data is very relevant to how farmers make decisions about how they farm. And so that's data that's usually related to the, the quality of the job that is being done on the farm. Smart farming is not a new phenomenon but several economic factors are driving investment in connected equipment. Skyrocketing grain prices, labor shortages, low crop output, and increasing demand have all exacerbated the global food crisis. 
Ultimately, farmers are trying to grow food to feed the entire world, to feed a growing population, but they're also trying to do, do it in the most efficient manner possible. Agricultural equipment companies view precision agricultural technology as viable solutions to help farmers keep costs down while increasing crop production. Ron Heck is a fourth generation Iowa farmer. If we can save money on our inputs or uh, save money on operating our equipment, save fuel, do it faster and more efficiently, efficiently that's just a win-win situation. Uh, and unfortunately for many things, the technology is uh, very expensive. Deere's self-driving tractor is set to hit the market for $500,000 later in 2022. While the company has declined to reveal the pricing model for the autonomous software, executives have said that a subscription model is one option. The company's green machines are retrofitted with cameras and sensors that collect and store agronomic data about position tracking, which can be useful for farmers for the following year's planting season. But farmers have long voiced their concerns about data privacy because of the blurred lines around data sharing. Grant Kimberly is Senior Director of Market Development at the Iowa Soybean Association. I think it's been a constant question and, uh, and discussion point for farmers and farm organizations for you know, several years now about how data is utilized, who owns that data, you know, and farmers have some concerns there. There's no doubt about it. Deer said farmers own their data and the company doesn't share data with third parties without farmers permission. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.